This podcast contains strong language and graphic depictions of criminal offenses. This episode includes depictions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a five-star review on your favorite listening platform and share us with your friends. Now, let's get on with the cast introductions and jump right into the case. My name is David. My name is Josiah. Hey, I'm Hannah. Hey guys, it's Sarah. My name's Nathan. And I'm your host, Tanner Azanero, a.k.a. The Odd One. First off, like to say before we jump into the case, uh, a big thank you to my cast here because this is episode seven. We're nearing the end of the season, and I was saying this before off mic, but I have to do it on mic so that people know how nice of a guy I am. Uh, <laughs> thank you, thank you guys so much for uh, being a part of this and making it actually fun. Because it'd be a lot less fun if I was just talking into a microphone by myself. Woo. And with that said. Murder. Ah! Ah! (laughs) Scary. You guys ready to get fucking murdered? (laughs) (laughs) That's the finale. (laughs) The the finale (laughs) is is we all die. Tanner kills all of us. (laughs) That's really what happens. October 3rd, 2008, Edmonton, Canada. 33-year-old Gilles Tetreau was on his way to a date. Did you say his name's Jill? Jill? How do you spell uh, that? I'll send it to you. It's a Canuck. I'm oh. sorry, a what? We don't say that word in mixed That's company. a bad word. No, it, <laughs> no it's not. No, I just don't know what it is. But <laughs> it, he's, a fr- just <laughs> he's a French Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Piss off. Wait, is that what that means? Uh, I, I don't think so. I knew it was like a Canada thing, but I, I didn't know I that. just think of the Canucks because the Vancouver Canucks are an ice hockey team in the NHL. I personally... <laughs> not to be confused. <laughs> have no idea. hockey we all keep up with. Uh, you do call... Or floor hockey. I'm really into that. You do call that. folks so that live in Quebec, Quebecois. So if I'm that just sounds like somebody... Cool, I'm funny, and I thought of a thing to say. Cool. Canadians. <laughs> Canadians are funny. Canada. Syrup. Uh. <laughs> it's important. What a start to an episode. <laughs> we just lost like five listeners. <laughs> we five. Like, we, we lost our Canadian the audience. The only five that were from <laughs> Canadian. like a third of our <laughs> 33-year-old Gilles Tetreau was on his way to a date. He had recently joined the dating site Plenty of Fish in hopes of finding love. That's not funny. Just his luck. Oh, we just need to insert real quickly that Hannah and I met each other on Tinder. So the fact that she's laughing at that. No, I'm laughing because of the name. It's quite ironic. Okay, wow. Throw me under the bus. I was laughing because of the name of the site. What was it? Plenty 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 of of Fish. fish. That's so funny. No. Oh. Okay, I guess I. I mean, I haven't. I I thought you had heard of it, and then we're just laughing at it. And I was like, "We probably get, we probably get advertised to 
for it that, because we're men. Yeah, that's probably true because I see <laughs> I advertisements for it all the time. I've never, I've never heard of it. Or seen it. I was actually a platinum member on Plenty of Fish. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> cool. Continue. All right. We are so late into this episode. <laughs> okay. So he joined the site Plenty of Fish in hopes of finding love. Just his luck, he began chatting with a beautiful girl who went by the mysteriously alluring name Spiderwebs. The more they talked, like her username was Spiderwebs. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Jill Tetreau learned her name was Sheena. She was intelligent and well-spoken. They bonded quickly through their messages, partially thanks to Sheena's forwardness. It didn't take long at all before Sheena was asking Jill what his plans were for Friday. She suggested dinner and a movie between the two. A bit strange, such a beautiful girl wanting to meet so quickly, but Jill wasn't complaining. It was a pleasant change of pace for the oftenly cruel dating world. So there he was, driving his car towards Sheena's place that night in early October. Her driving directions that she had given him weren't anything unusual, but it was the instructions she had for Jill Tetreau once he arrived that were a little off the beaten path. She asked him to pull down a residential alleyway and park in front of her garage. Sheena said she would leave the garage door open and that he was to go through the garage into the backyard and then knock on her back door. I'm going to send you a picture of the garage right now. And a reminder that uh, this is nighttime. This is a, this is a, uh, I believe a Friday night. That he's. This uh, is their first date. Pulling too? up, yes. <laughs> what a weird. They've first they've date. never met before. That is odd. But she's giving. Wait, their first date is at her they've, house. They've never weird. met. She's having him uh, pick her up. Oh. She with air quotes around it. I don't believe it. That's a sketchy ass garage. Lots of overturned furniture. <laughs> I don't see it yet. You can't even. And what's debris. in front of the left door? You can't even pull into that. Like that a part of it. block or something. Yeah, what the... Useless. <laughs> Gilles Tetreau parked his car and approached the garage. Sheena had left the garage door lifted, but only just enough that Gilles had to crouch under to go in. When he entered the garage, there were no lights on, and he was in the pitch black. As oh, his no. eyes begin to adjust, an unseen figure leaps out of the darkness oh. and attacks Gilles from behind with a stun gun. As the assailant prods Tetro again and again, it glows blue in the dark garage. As Tetro turns to see his attacker, the flashing prods of the stun gun illuminate the room like an ominous blue strobe light. Gilles sees the flashing image of a tall man in a black hockey mask with three gold stripes over the right eye. Oh, I'm sending you a picture of the mask now. No thanks. I will no, delete dude. this message. <laughs> Y'all can't see pictures, but like if I saw this garage and I was supposed to walk through that as a six foot five big ass man, I would not walk through that door. Here's the thing. Actually, big they can man. see pictures on our website that isn't a thing yet, but oh, is that, a thing yeah, yet, and they can see these pictures. It's going to be, there's. I've, I've just been saying link in the description because I haven't created the site yet. But yes, you can all see these pictures, link in the description, Ew. and also sources. So gross. Wait, I haven't gotten hockey mask yet. Oh, oh hello. Um, That's creepy. Also, I'm sorry. I don't care how pretty she is. I would not. If somebody told me these directions to like pick her up don't on our first go. date, don't go. Here's it's an not idea. Worth it. Don't go. Yeah. yeah that's, that's scary. And it should be noted too that he's not like a bad looking dude. Like 
Who's a good-looking dude? Very early 2000s, but... The desperation of men is sometimes way too strong, though. Yeah, no, no puss is worth, is worth (laughs) these directions. Yeah. You can quote me on that. Tanner has an arrow, 2020, no puss is worth it. (laughs) Maybe he's been in quarantine. Just the idea of It's 2008. He has not been in quarantine. Okay. So you've seen the creepy mask. That is what is flashing before Tetro's eyes. And amidst the haze of confusion and pain, Gilles Tetro sees his attacker pull out a gun. The stranger pushes Gilles to the ground and puts duct tape over his eyes. Tetro didn't intend to give up that easily, however, and at the risk of being shot, he ripped the duct tape off of his face and sprang up to leap for the gun. In the moment of struggle between the two, Gilles Tetro made an important discovery. He could feel that the gun was fake, Mm. made of plastic. Knowing the gun is useless, the attacker begins hitting Tetro over and over, and a fist fight breaks out between the two. As this altercation progresses, Tetro slowly brought the fight closer to the garage door, where he quickly ducked down and rolled out of the garage, with his attacker right on his heels. Yo, let's go! The full force of the stun gun now hindered the use of his legs, as he slowly crawled away outside. The attacker grabbed Tetro's legs and began dragging him back to the garage. With a final burst of adrenaline, Tetro kicked his attacker away and ran as fast as his hindered legs would allow. It was in this moment that Tetro saw a blessing. There was a couple walking down the alley. Tetro approached, telling them that someone was trying to mug him. At that moment, the masked assailant came around the corner, realizing he was face to face with these two witnesses. The masked man then began saying things like, oh, come on, Frank, let's go back to the garage, as if to give the impression that the two knew each other and it was all a misunderstanding. Startled by everything, the couple refuses to help and flees, and the equally startled attacker returns to the garage, abandoning his plans from the fear of nearly being stopped, giving Gilles Tetro the opportunity to get in his car and drive away. Can we laugh at something? Because he wouldn't have taken the mask off to reveal his true identity. He said the, oh, come on, Frank, behind a scary-ass mask. Yes. Yeah. In the nighttime. And so I saw a lot of people online being like, why didn't this couple help? Like, what What are you doing? Are you kidding? No, um, get out. If I was walking around my neighborhood yeah. and this dude's crawling on the ground, like barely able to move, and a guy in a mask is like, Frank, come on, you need to come back to the garage. I'm not stopping. In an alley at yeah. night. At night. No. I'm not fucking stopping, and no. I'm sorry. I, I defend the couple's decision oh, yeah. to no, go yeah. away. That's entirely fair. They yes. needed to leave. They needed to leave. Oh my god! One for the one for the couple. <laughs> While hey. the couple went home and phoned the police, which didn't lead police to any kind of discovery, Gilles Tetro, feeling ashamed for being tricked, wanted to forget that the whole thing happened. He did not contact authorities. The spider web's profile vanished off the site. He told his friends that he had simply gotten randomly mugged, and he figured what's done is done. Also about a catfishing incident. Also, I love that the username is the spiderweb. Spider and he webs. just like sets up a trap right, for these just, people. Just another Ooh. word for catfish. Ooh. 
A week later, across town, a 38-year-old man named John Altinger was logged on to the Plenty of Fish dating website. He began chatting with a beautiful woman named Jen. Her username was Spiderwebs. Jen and Altinger set up a date for Friday, exactly seven days after Gilles Tetreau was assaulted. Now, John Altinger had a very strong group of friends around him, and he talked to them often and openly. So they all knew about this beautiful woman who wanted to meet with their friend John so suddenly, and they weren't all that convinced. (laughs) The woman gave strange directions to her place, mentioning going into a back alley and through a garage. John shared these directions over text with his friends. On top of that, John wasn't a ladies' man. His friends knew that. Girls like Jen don't just hit up geeky dudes like John Altinger out of the blue like this. Nonetheless, John went forward with the date Friday night. John, I think you're beautiful. I also think John's beautiful. (laughs) Two days later, on Thanksgiving, October 12th, 2008, Canadian Thanksgiving. Oh, I was about to say, uh... I wanted to see your guys' faces when I said it. Family and friends became worried. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Canadian Thanksgiving. They do. Why does everybody know this and I don't? I feel very stupid I right now. I work with a Canadian. <laughs> I texted everyone the Canadian Thanksgiving yeah. is real. Josiah, this is like the most <laughs> random. How do you feel, Josiah? <laughs> <laughs> the text thread is just called the fuck Josiah thread. <laughs> it's just October 12th and I just said, Canadian Thanksgiving. <laughs> don't tell Josiah. <laughs> well, now I'm informed. <laughs> so... Two days later, on Thanksgiving, October 12th, 2008, family and friends became worried when John doesn't show up for the family gathering and doesn't say a word to anyone. Until that Monday, when he finally made contact by sending out a mass email to his family and friends. It read, Hey there, I've met an extraordinary woman named Jen, who has offered to take me on a nice, long, tropical vacation. We'll be staying in her winter home in Costa Rica. Phone number to follow soon. I won't be back in town until December 10th, but I will be checking my email periodically. See you around the holidays, Johnny. Ouch. He's dead. Deeply concerned and confused and frustrated that after talking with police, they were told to wait and see if he returns, John Altinger's friends go to his apartment and break in. There, they find all of his empty and unpacked luggage and his passport and no sign that he had taken any kind of vacation at all. I like these friends. Then they're yeah. awesome. Friends. They're so great. His friends are awesome. Yeah, let's go. Then like they looked at the strange directions he had shared with them about his Friday night date. With that information, detectives now get serious and get involved. Detectives follow the strange directions to a secluded garage. Their next move is to get in contact with the owner of that garage. That man's name is Mark Twitchell, and he is brought in for questioning. I'll send you a picture of Mark Twitchell now. Twitchell. Twitchell. Oh, he likes Star Wars. Seems pretty cool. Uh, (laughs) No, he's uh, not yet received. Well, you don't know. I don't know anything. I don't think he's our attacker. I'm sorry, he has the face of a man who could lure me into a garage Wait, and stun gun me. What? I'm sorry, he just looks Wait, like well, that What's that mean? <laughs> <I don't laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> you said it was like it would he work. Like so Sarah would like, yeah. like Sarah Ryan and you'd be like, oh, Nathan, yes, I see that face. What in God's earth? <laughs> no, what? I, 
is he looks at the kind of guy like who, who would, would do that like sure no. <laughs> good <laughs> save Sarah we just don't believe you first let me take you also I <laughs> watch watch <laughs> as I take you watch as I take you oh god for Outlander fans out there Sarah's into pirates by the way he's not a pirate he's Scottish he's a pirate this is our craziest episode yet in terms of outbursts and I'm here for it yeah no me too Mark Twitchell was a 29-year-old up-and-coming filmmaker and costume designer. He had been gaining traction in the local filmmaking world for his last project, which was a Star Wars fan film. Twitchell was very cooperative with police and had no problem showing them around the garage and answering their questions. He told them that he had been renting the garage for his newest filming project, but that he had no idea who Jen was and hadn't had any man show up to the garage anytime recently. He stated that someone had recently tampered with the lock on his garage door. More specifically, when he went to the garage with detectives, he stated that the padlock currently on the garage was not his at all. Someone else put it there. Police, with his permission, busted off the padlock and entered. Inside, detectives can smell that something had potentially been burned in the garage before. They see a large stainless steel table. They also found a receipt for cleaning supplies, rubber gloves, and a bunch of plastic sheeting. No, no, no. When asked shit. about this receipt, Mark Twitchell explains that the movie he's making in this space is a horror movie, and that the cleaning supplies and plastic sheets were for the extreme amount of fake blood that was used for filming. Convenient. Or Mark for the Twitchell, kill room he's building. Mark Twitchell was a big fan of the TV show and character... Dexter. Dexter. Uh, which follows a vigilante coming. serial killer who creates kill rooms covered in plastic tarp to torture and disembody his victims. Side note, I love that show. It's a great show. Mark Twitchell's killer character used the same method, except his character wore a hockey mask. Police took Twitchell back to headquarters for questioning, and after talking about his family, his passions, and his work as a filmmaker, police let him go. He's not on their radar as a suspect or even a person of interest. In later interviews, the detective who interviews him says that he went back, watched the interview again to pay particular attention to Mark's body language, and said that he had no reason to distrust him. But he's That's like in the film industry, Wait, right? So Maybe he's just a really good actor. Did he... I'm just going to like see if I figured this out. <laughs> he catfished people and then he brought them to this garage to film to their genuine own. reaction of being killed so that he I'm could put not it to break. I'm not saying that in you're a right. horror movie. Like, I just love the, so, the like, movie, so like, cause like don't... he's a up and coming film actor, filmmaker. Right. So like, He's probably not going to get like the best actors and he probably isn't the best writer at the time. I mean, I don't I don't know if he's like a, I mean, he made a Star Wars fan fi- film. It's, it's, I'll say he was getting like genuine investors like okay, he was cool. making money. That's awesome. But I feel like I mean, there's no better way to get a genuine horror on your face. If you're actually being killed. And what you don't realize when you're watching the movie is that it's actually just like, like that's a real snuff film put in right. the middle, right? And like that's too easy though. I I, I that seems very like Hollywood esque, but I feel like 
people I can't really put anything past anyone. Yeah. So I feel like that could interesting concept. Like an asshole who knows the answer. I, I, I do know the answer. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> I'm not usually one to know exactly what happens, but like I feel like that could be a thing. Now the police were looking into this incident. The one call they had received the week before from a scared couple who came across the masked man and Gilles Tetro caught their attention. The couple was called in for questioning, and because of the date of the incident described by the pair, police realized that there's another victim. They also realize that it is likely they are now searching for two dead men and a rising serial killer. Remember, Gilles Tetreau did not come forward about the incident, so police had no idea who he was or if he was even still alive. Oh, that sucks. Police felt they were deadlocked and had no idea how to proceed with the investigation. Until Mark Twitchell sent them an email with more information that he felt was relevant to their investigation. With that information, however, suddenly Mark Twitchell went from being an eccentric filmmaking nerd into a real suspect. Twitchell told police that the same weekend that John Altinger had disappeared, that he was approached in a gas station near his garage by a man who wanted to sell him a car worth $20,000. But the seller's price... $40. When police located the vehicle, it was John Altinger's car. This directly connected Twitchell to Altinger, and police had a lot more questions for Twitchell once this information came to light. I didn't say it in the script there, but <clears throat> I felt it was self-explanatory, but just to be super clear, uh, Twitchell is saying he did buy this car from John Altinger for $40. And he mentioned John Altinger's He name? didn't say the name. He just said, a dude in a gas station wanted to sell me his car for 40 bucks. And I said, sure. And now it's my car. But yeah. And then police check out the car and they're like, yeah, this is John Altinger's car. Why? So he sounds pretty also, stupid. I feel like that is just maybe like a terrible cover for like, I killed this man and now I have his car and this is what I'm doing with it. Yeah, but like, you know what I mean? To like justify why he would have his car. And also, in 2008, when gas prices were super high, that might have been the amount of gas in the tank. Like, and you're for selling a, for a twenty thousand dollar car. Yeah. It was like you're a, selling the whole car for the gas. It, yeah. all I, gas I don't remember the year, but I remember it was a Mazda. Interesting. What? Oh, it must have been like a. It was a hatchback. I know that. Oh, what? Fancy. That's all, that's all I remember. But anyway. Interesting. Mark Twitchell comes in for another interview where he explains that at the gas station, the man who sold him the car explained that he had gotten connected with a rich woman who was going to buy him a new car after a vacation that they were going to take. Thus, he was selling his current car to a stranger for next to nothing. This ridiculously implausible story that (laughs) perfectly matched the implausible story given by John Altinger's strange emails caused detectives to turn the tides of the interview from good cop to bad cop. Mm -hmm. After being accused of having involvement in Altinger's disappearance, Twitchell chooses not to call for a lawyer but continues to deny any involvement. The last words Twitchell says during the interview after being told by the detective that he won't be able to live with what he's done wrong is, quote, you'd be surprised with what I can live with, end quote. That's not He said that to the detective? Mm-hmm. That is a very guilty man. Wow. Super guilty man. With a search warrant... 
police immediately turn Mark Twitchell's garage into a crime scene and seize all of his electronic devices and movie props. On October 22nd, two days after the accusatory interview with Twitchell, police discovered one of the eeriest finds in police history on his laptop. There was a deleted file in the trash bin of Mark Twitchell's Spider-Man sticker-covered laptop. Bro. It was a written document entitled S.K. Confessions. Here are some passages from the partially redacted 43-page document. This is the story of my progression into becoming a serial killer. Like anyone, just starting out in a new skill, I had a bit of trial and error in the beginning of my misadventures. I don't remember the exact place and time it was that I decided to become a serial killer, but I remember the sensation that hit me when I committed to the decision. It was a rush of pure euphoria. I just knew I was different somehow from the rest of humanity. I feel no such emotions as empathy or sympathy toward others, for example. It's not me who chooses the victim's fate. Oh, sure, I choose the victim to match my own criteria in the interest of remaining free and at large, but for the most part, I am merely following my own nature, which was devised by the grand design of the universe. I am very obviously, as you will come to learn, deliberate, level-headed, and very much in control of my own actions. First question, who do I target? At first, I considered married men looking to cheat on their wives, but the logic of the situation denies this possibility. After all, people who are expected home at a certain hour tend to get reported as missing. For 43 pages, Mark Twitchell continues on in SK Confessions, SK likely standing for serial killer, to explain that he's in it for the monetary value of stealing from his victims' empty homes after he's killed them. He also goes into detail about which knives he'll use for what purpose and how he will prepare his kill room, among other graphic details. It is later revealed that screams could be heard from the garage, but that none of the neighbors suspected anything out of the ordinary because Mark Twitchell had told all the surrounding neighbors that he was filming a horror movie and that any screams heard were nothing to worry about. The most chilling details come from his description of both the assault on Jill Tetreau and John Altinger. Finally, after police release a request for the first assault victim at the garage to come forward, Gilles Tetreau comes to police and tells them his tale. It is perfectly matched to the story told by Twitchell in SK Confessions about what took place that night. And if Mark Twitchell's own personal account of the assault on Gilles Tetreau was accurate, that could only mean that his account of John Altinger's murder was also accurate. In SK Confessions, he writes, I pulled my hunting knife out of its sheath and thrust it into his gut. His reaction was pure Hollywood. I sliced open his jugular and let him bleed out right there on the floor. I sang to myself as I worked. Twitchell also describes how he attempted to burn John Altinger's body in a barrel to get rid of the evidence. When that didn't work, he dismembered Altinger's body altogether. 
On October 31st, 2008, Mark Twitchell was arrested on Halloween, his favorite holiday. The only piece of the puzzle missing from their case against Mark Twitchell was the body of John Altinger. Police drive around Edmonton with Twitchell in the back of their car in hopes that he'll reveal the location of Altinger's body. Caught on camera in the back of the car, Twitchell demands to be taken back to the station, answers no questions about where the body is, and carries an attitude of uncaring indifference. He is returned to jail, having not revealed where the body is. Holy shit. Yeah, that, that was crazy. So honestly... There's a little bit more. I'm just pausing Honestly, for he's kind of a bad serial killer. <laughs> honestly, he's kind of a bad serial killer because... He's only attempted this twice, as far as we know of, correct? And succeeded once that we know of. And gave I, himself away. Right, and like gave quick. himself away. I guess I just not a great serial killer. Not that we really this want serial killers. Not that we want to them be great. To be good. No, yeah, we yeah. I have, I don't remember the last time I heard of a serial killer keeping a journal. <laughs> yeah, of seriously, killing on their people. computer. And I just looked up cremation temperatures. In a barrel in his garage, he was hoping to find 1400 to 1800 degrees. 1800 degrees is the temperature of flowing lava. I didn't know that. Also, just take three jars, take the ashes and spread them in three different locations. No one will ever be able to triangulate the body. (laughs) David, we're going to talk about that later, but that is interesting, Josiah. The temperature of flowing (laughs) lava. He hoped to find that in a barrel in his garage. That's what it takes to cremate? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's high temperatures. It's super high. It's, yeah. so, it's crazy. Because it turns into like instant ash. Yeah, bones, I guess, are super dense. Very dense, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That, yeah, he's really... I mean, I all serial killers, in my mind, are dumb in a way because they're serial killers. I hate that. But he's like dumb, dumb. He's dumb, yeah. dumb. A like lot of serial dumb, killers, dumb. like who successful serial killers, are in, extremely intelligent. Mm-hmm. Like they are, like if he's True. so inspired by Dexter, like even just that character on that show, like very, very smart person, like knows how to cover up what he's done and not give himself away within the first two murders or attempted. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously, he could have like you learned nothing. Yeah, he watched that show and like became. A terrible serial killer. <laughs> yeah, maybe and he just... Also, Sorry. this is a very successful serial killer based out of Hollywood, you know? So it's like anything he learns from that show is still tainted by it being right. a Hollywood... I do know um, in an interview with Michael C. Hall, who plays Dexter, uh, they asked him about this case, uh, to which he responded with, of course, disgust and... Uh, sadness that yeah. anyone would be this depraved and yeah, would seriously. you know gain an inspiration from that show yeah um but let's continue nine months later mark twitchell request i don't know why in my brain nine months later mark twitchell gave birth that's what happened <laughs> <laughs> He, he was a stupid guy who had a stupid baby. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I don't know why that popped in my head. Nine months later, Mark Twitchell requested a meeting with detectives. At that meeting, he wordlessly pushed forward a piece of paper onto the table. On the paper, 
police found the directions to John Altinger's remains. It led police to a manhole cover in an alleyway. Inside the sewer, they discovered what was left of John Altinger. March 2011, Mark Twitchell's trial for first-degree murder begins. Twitchell, acting as his own defense, claimed that he only invited Jill Tetro and John Altinger to his garage so that when he scared them and let them go, they would tell the story of what happened, which would turn into publicity for his upcoming horror movie. Twitchell claimed that Altinger became angry and attacked him, and that he had no choice but to defend himself when things got out of hand. Twitchell also claimed that SK Confessions was pure fiction related to his film. On April 12th, the jury convened for only four hours, where they passed along the verdict of guilty. Twitchell was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole for 25 years. He is currently serving time at the Maximum Security Penitentiary in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. While incarcerated, he has released a few statements complaining that his trial and his verdict was the result of an unintelligent judge, jury, police force, and legal system who simply don't have the capacity to understand him. At the end of the day, delusions of grandeur, if I've as detailed and thorough as his murder plans were, his clumsy plan to remain at large, and his inability to keep Gilles Tetreau from escaping, and his obvious indifference towards human life truly reveal how sad and pathetic Mark Twitchell is, has been, and always will be. And that is the story of Mark Twitchell and SK Confessions. Hey, Mark, keep your hands off of Star Wars. We don't need you tainting what we love. Yeah, screw you. <laughs> you too, Disney. Get off. <laughs> hey, Disney, we have now acquainted you with Mark Twitchell. We have now acquainted you, you with a literal horrifying serial killer. A bad one. I would bad. say not even a good serial one. killer. Yeah, not serial even a implies more one. than one, and his first victim was bigger than he was. True. Oh, yeah, he's not even. he only killed one person. Yeah. yeah. I I I liked that um, you were kind of near it, but With he never he never filmed yeah. he never filmed anything. Yeah, I liked to I like to say that he was like he like he used that as like a cover. yeah yeah you got yeah. you got that right. Yeah. Which you know what yeah. I thought it was interesting that he didn't film. I I, yeah. I honestly wouldn't have been surprised if he did. That's why I, well, I thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. He wrote everything down and just detail. being a big dumb. Yeah, and and just I don't know. It was, also, it was weird that like that was his whole life, and he still didn't like film his murders. On oh. the theme of him being dumb, <laughs> being his own defense. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh, oh well, my god! He's, he's just a narcissistic psychopath. That's why when detectives were like watching back the footage, and I watched it too of his interviews, he's no signs of deceit or anything. Like none of it gives off any because he's a psychopath. He right. literally doesn't have feelings. So it was that easy for him to to just lie outright and talk about these things without any guilt or anything. And he was a father. Like Are yeah. you serious? Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, he was married and I'm pretty sure he had a kid. Oh, I didn't know that. Also, something that I've noticed listening to different podcasts and things like that, and then you just mentioned, is that um, you know, so often in the US people get life without the pro- the possibility of parole and somebody that killed try and also tried killing somebody else 
after 25 years, he's up for parole. Mm-hmm. Has the well, at least has the possibility yeah. of parole. Mm-hmm. And that probably won't. I would. Probably I would guess. But I have noticed that in Canada, and these may have been older cases that I was hearing about, but um, they had much much shorter um, times before parole was a possibility. And I yeah. find that very interesting. They're because, a bit more lenient there. Yeah. I think they're a bit more like rehabilitating in terms of mm-hmm. their... Yeah, uh, because the U.S. prison system is shit. Yeah, so. it oh, is yeah. shit, but... Really bad. Yeah, which, yeah. you know, sucks in the case of people like Mark Twitchell who should just be thrown in a box and like left there <laughs> for forever. In the yeah, middle exactly. of Saskatchewan. Yeah. Like nowhere. Yeah. So, anyway... Thank you guys so much for joining us. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. That's a huge help toward allowing us to keep the podcast going and eventually make it a weekly show, and we very much appreciate your support. If you want to check out photos from this case as well as our sources, check out the link in the description. And until next time, I'm your host, Tanner Azanero, the odd one, out.